there is an old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it, and I'm sure you've used it. It is hard to fly with eagles when I am surrounded by so many turkeys. Right? Some of you might have even used that this week. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, turkeys do not fly quite as high as eagles. In fact, eagles can fly upwards to 10,000 feet. Turkeys, on the other hand, if they're lucky to get about 1,000 feet. The oddest thing I ever saw was I was heading to Washington, PA one time, and the best way that I could describe it as it went across the road was a bowling ball with a head. <laughs> and it didn't go much higher than my hood of my car and went across uh, I-70. How many of you have had that experience? We all probably have at some point in time. They don't get off the ground very well. But nevertheless, we recognize, again, that one of the things that we associate with soaring is eagles. And living for God will not always bring about an easy life, will it? It's not going to do that for us. We're going to have difficult times. And so what we need to recognize is that though God has put us down here on earth, possibly amongst a lot of turkeys, He still wants us to do what? He wants us to soar high. In other words, He wants us, as the title this morning says, He wants us to live above it all. What does that really mean, to live above it all? You know, we, we use phrases like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. We use those phrases, but often we come very short of getting above the bowling ball with a head height, don't we? But we're called to soar. We're called to rise above it all. Well, one of the things that has come out recently is that Americans, as far as our religion is concerned, is very varied. In other words, where we used to practice sort of an exclusivity, in other words, we were beheld maybe to a creed or to a set of beliefs that were unshakable. Americans in their religious views anymore have found that most Americans are more homogenous in their religious beliefs. In other words, it's kind of like they've gone to the Walmart of religion. They walk up and down the aisles looking for what fits their lifestyle, what they like best, and they begin to apply it to their lives. And they even take some very dangerous steps in practicing certain aspects of religions and not even aware of it. I want to tell you folks, and I, and I don't mean to step on toes, and I don't mean to open a can of worms here, but you know, there's some Eastern mysticism that goes on. I hear people who are into uh, certain exercises and certain martial arts. I want to tell you folks, those are bona fide religions. And we need to be careful sometimes how we apply those to our life. You say, oh, Ron, you went from preaching to meddling. Maybe I did. But we've got to be careful watering down Christianity in America. And so what we've come to find out, that because we're not exclusive, we don't be holding to things that the Bible tells us to stay away from, forsake. What we've done is we've allowed the church, as one sociologist said, it's three miles wide, or excuse me, 10,000 miles wide, three inches deep. 
And really, when you talk to almost everybody in America, don't you hear some kind of jargon? Well, I'm religious. I'm just not your kind of religious. You all heard that, haven't you? You've all heard someone say that. In fact, I just recently have, have talked to people who have said that to me. And so what we find is, is that commonly in America today, there's a lot of people who profess to say, well, I believe in some God or some outside source, but I'm just not beholden to what it is that you believe in. And that becomes very dangerous. Because when a lot of Americans say that, what we find out is that all of a sudden, where we're called to soar, we've lost the ability to fly. One of the things that I did when we lived out on the hill, I, I got enamored with pheasants. The ringneck pheasant. Beautiful bird. Wonderful, beautiful game bird. In fact, my first encounter with one was just outside of Crabapple, PA. I was driving out there to meet someone who went to Fork Ridge Baptist Church at the time. And as I was driving out there, something caught my eye. And on the hill there was this beautiful ring-neck pheasant. I located a guy just across the river, up on the hill, who sold uh, pheasant eggs. They sold pheasants after they'd hatched. I don't know, how many did I buy? A dozen? dozen and a half? Yeah. I heard that some market in Chicago would pay for pheasants. Because, again, what is the delicacy that you often hear? Pheasant underwear, under glass. I don't know. I don't know what's so great about that. But I got some pheasants, and I began to raise them. I built a pen, and I had pheasants out there. And they were making pheasant noises. I don't know. If I can't remember if they clucked or whatever they did. But it got annoying. And I'd go out, and the, I had the males and the females there, and they were pecking each other's heads and all kinds of stuff. And finally, I told Sandy, I've had enough of this. I am going to let them loose. And I let them loose. And these beautiful, wonderful game birds that I had raised since they were chicks... I tossed them up in the air, and they fluttered the ground, and they walked. One walked to the neighbor's house and began to peck on the door. I thought, you stupid birds. Later that afternoon, I heard a gunshot. My other neighbor shot two of them. This is no lie. I'm standing at a place where God says, you've got to be true here. And she knows it. <laughs> and what happened? They had all that they needed. I fed them well. In fact, my grass never looked so good as where it did from where the pheasant pen was. It was green. It was lush. They had wings. They had tail feathers. They had everything gone for them. I love those birds. But you know what? They were confined in a pen and they began to adapt to that pen and those birds that should have flown lost the ability to fly because they knew nothing else and so when we look at what happens in the life of Daniel Daniel is taken out 
of his land at an extremely vulnerable time in his life. If you notice in the scripture, if you turn to Daniel chapter 1, <coughs> one of the things that we notice there, and we kind of forget this, is that Daniel was taken out of his land, not as an old man, ensconced in his religious beliefs. He was a young man. He was, he was, even says that they were children of Israel. Now when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he sent his armies in, he took the creme de la creme out and brought him into his own household. And what he was doing was, he knew the impressionable minds that he had. And he says, if I woo them with, with the meals that I have, and I woo them with the wine, and I woo them with the Babylonian culture, and I do all this, then when I send them back to Israel, I won't have to send an army. I have an indoctrinated people who will go do what I need them to do. They will be Babylonians in the house of Israel. Wow. What a, what a wonderful plan. At least in theory. But then there's Daniel. There's Daniel. And Daniel was a man that lived above the crowd. In fact, look at verse 8 in particular. Because seeing all that, the, that King Nebuchadnezzar was offering him, I mean, he was offering him the best schools. He was offering him, I mean, the, uh, he was the elite of the elite. And look what it says in verse 8. It says, And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. We can stop right there because it wasn't just the king's food. Because as we look at the rest of Daniel's life, it was not just the food that he wouldn't eat. It was the whole of the Babylonian culture. Daniel refused to let take hold in his life. Now, he dressed Babylonian. He walked in Babylonian shoes. He went to Babylonian markets. But he did not let that become him. He rose above it because he's purposed in his heart that he was going to be true to the God of Israel who had given him the commandments on how to live. Primarily the book of Leviticus. He knew that book well. He knew what God had given him to, to be, uh, uh, take over as far as food and gestation and to how to live and how to be the young person that God had called him to be in this time. And so Daniel practiced several things that allowed him to live above it all. And the first thing was this. He was resolved to stay on the right path. And we need to live above the crowd by resolving to stay on the right path. He knew everything that the Babylonian religion was doing and the Babylonian government was doing was not a God. He knew that. And it says he had a purpose in his heart not to defile himself. Now think about that. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. And the purpose in your heart means that you will predetermine to do something, to live a way of life, 
to do things, to say things, to be the person that God needs you to be before you find yourself in a situation where you might find that you have to compromise. You see, often that's what happens. We say that on one hand, we believe this, but we don't get it into the practice of our lives. And then we find ourselves in a compromising situation. And the very next thing we, under, or we find is that we're given over to the temptation. Daniel tells us that if we're going to stay on the right path, and Jesus says, I am the way, which means he is what? The path. In fact, he was known as the way. If we're going to stay on that, folks, before you leave this sanctuary today, you need to purpose in your heart that what you will do tomorrow and what you will do the following day and what you will continue to do until we come back together and are challenged again, that what you will do for your life, you will follow Jesus Christ no matter what the consequences, no matter what it takes. I was reading a thing. Uh, uh, Bill Hennard sent me a book about the emerging church. And one of the persons who is key in that is a man by the name of Rob Bell. And Rob mentions the fact that Jesus says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes, uh, comes to the Father except by Him. But Rob goes on to explain, he says this. He says, really... What Jesus is saying is that what God has is a better way for you, a better understanding for you. Those are dangerous words. Now, to the non-believer, it sounds okay. But to you and I, who know those words, they're words of delusion. Because what they say is, well, you know what? Everybody still gets to go to heaven. You just might get better treatment. Because you went on the right road. You didn't detour off. You didn't, you didn't follow some other path. That's very dangerous. And sadly, that's entering in churches today, all across America. But Jesus is not the way. He is a way. Oh, there's something to be said about the preposition, isn't there? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. And so, G, or so what we recognize is he purposed in his heart he was going to follow the laws of God. And we need a purpose in our heart we're going to follow Jesus. The next thing we see here is he received favor. And for us to live above it all, we need to live above the crowd by receiving God's favor for faithfulness. It is hard to be a member of this church and not know when these doors are open. They are open at minimum four times a week. Sunday school, 9.30, 1045 worship, 6.30 Sunday night, 6.30 Wednesday. Pastor Steele and I, would, when we would talk a lot, we would always call those, those are covenant appointments. In other words, you can, you can know that God has said, I will meet my people for sure at the Moundsville Baptist Church because you have set aside those days with me. Now, if I have a meeting on Tuesday 
and you can't make it, and I pop it on you, I, I have to excuse you. But we corporately, as a body, have made a covenant with God that we will be in His place of worship to learn, to grow, to be challenged, to be equipped to go out into this world four times. 9.30 Sunday morning, 10.45 Sunday morning, 6.30 Sunday evening, and 6.30 Wednesday night. Again, Ron, you've gone from preaching to meddling. No, I want you to live above it all. And the way that we live above it all is to be faithful to the things of God so that we might be found receiving God's favor for faithfulness. And Daniel was found in favor because of that. There's an amazing thing in nature that happens. And it's when an apple tree begins to bloom. And then there's a frost. And then all of a sudden we think, oh, oh my, no apples this year. But you know what botanists tell us? Actually, expect a bumper crop. Because what happens is, is all those enzymes, all that energy, all that goes back into the tree so that when the frost subsides, a thing called seons takes place. And more, more blooms are produced and more apples become the result of the blooms. And there's a bumper harvest. That can happen. It does happen. And at the core of Christianity, we need to recognize that sometimes the harsh frosts of life, like divorce, like depression, cancer, bankruptcy, trauma, grief, any of those things, they can cause our heart to freeze. But if we are faithful to what it is that God has called us to do, to bloom where we are planted, we will produce. We will produce. And so at the core of the Christian faith, we live with an incredible promise that there is the promise of no matter what happens to us, we have, not will have, we have abundant life. Amen? That's kind of weak. All right. Thank you. The third thing is this. We live above the crowd by expecting our faith to be tested. We live above the crowd by expecting our faith to be tested. Several years ago, a home safety program was conducted in uh, South Carolina. It was actually a uh, building construction site. And they built two identical homes. One, they used conventional building materials. The other, they used reinforcing strapping, uh, concrete reinforcement, things that were high-rated, high-wind-rated. And so what they did was <coughs> they built them in this huge, huge wind tunnel. And then what they did was they simulated a Category 3 hurricane. And in the first test, both houses seemed unscathed. No, they noticed no real difference. Then they did a second test. And amazingly, they noticed that at those 
Category 3 winds, which is 110 miles per hour and above, that still didn't seem to be any noticeable major damage. They did it a third time. And within 10 minutes of the third experiment, the first house that was built by conventional means literally blew apart while the other one stayed standing. And what they assessed was that the first two times that the house was tested, what happened internally was that key parts began to weaken, began to stretch. Their tension was stretched. Nails began to loosen. Holes became bigger. And it took that third time that it finally blew apart because there was nothing left to hold it together. Maybe you've gotten through one hurricane in your life. And maybe you've gotten through two. But if you plan on getting through the third, the fourth, the fifth, and oh yes, there will be trials and tribulations in life, then you need the reinforcement. You need that reinforcement of knowing that God counts to us that our faithfulness again is true and that our faith will be tested time and time again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overcome you except as common to man, but God is faithful, who will allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Mentioned eagles. Eagles love storms. And one of the reasons that they love storms is because as those winds begin to brew, as those winds begin to kick up, they get into that jet stream, they get into that stream, and it lifts them higher and higher and higher. Folks, I'll guarantee you, your effectiveness for worshiping, your effectiveness for witnessing, is never more powerful than when you're tested. You see, when it's gone good, nobody wants what you really have because they got their own thing going on. But when things are tough, they want to know. They want to know, how do you survive? What is it that you do? Who do you call upon? How are you able? And folks, I'm hoping that you're able to say that I am able to stand because my house is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And though the winds may come and the waters may come against it, and the tests of time are strong, I stand because Jesus Christ is the solid rock who will be tested. And then we live above the crowd by maintaining a positive attitude. That's hard. Maintaining a positive attitude is definitely hard. Think about Daniel again. He was uprooted from his home. He didn't go. He didn't sign up for this. How many times have you heard that? You come to church and you're asked to serve. You're asked to do something. Well, I didn't didn't sign up for that. He didn't? I don't know. The, The major words that I always hear Jesus say is, Come unto me. Follow me. Take on the term Christian. That means to kind of 
be like Christ, doesn't it? Best information that I have about Jesus comes from the Scripture itself. Tells me what He did, what I can expect. Amen? Folks, I signed up for this. I signed up for this. <coughs> Those of you that know me, know I'm going to laugh. <laughs> I love laughing. I love laughing. I love maintaining a positive attitude. I mentioned, I think it was last week, my doctor told me, you know, he says, hey, you got a positive attitude. He says, you're too competitive. Yeah, because, again, the opponent's death. I'm going to stick around for a few more days. If he's taking me out, he's taking me out on a TKO. Amen? That's how we all want to go out, right? We know there's only 12 rounds. And we know that the Bible says death is inevitable. It's the point that a man wants to die. Right? Okay? So it's going to happen. I'm just, I'm just going to make him work hard at it. How about you? Well, folks, we have found that optimism, positive mental attitude, allows us to be healthier, both mentally, physically, and spiritually. Okay? Yeah, yeah thank you. I go to pulmonary rehab three days a week. I'm mad at myself this week. I failed. I did it three times and did not get it. I missed every time. One-tenth of a mile in 40 minutes. No, you didn't hear the part. I missed one-tenth of a mile getting 10 miles on the bike. I don't say that for your applause. I don't say that. I say that because every time I get on that thing, I've got an attitude that says, listen, I'm going to try to get as much out of this today as I can. And I'm going to hit 10. I've turned the treadmill over three times, 100 minutes, at 2.8, at a 2% incline. I'm not doing that. It's the Lord in me. It's giving me that positive mental attitude. We used to say as kids, how's your PMA? What's your positive mental attitude? And folks, here it is. Boy, am I enthusiastic about the Lord. Remember that, Pastor? We used to say it at camp all the time. Patty, where are you at? We used to say it all the time, didn't we? Boy, am I enthusiastic about the Lord. I woke a couple of you up. <laughs> I am. I am enthusiastic about the Lord. And you know what? You can't be too. And you should be. Because He loves you. He loves you with a never-ending love. You can go out tomorrow and you can meet every person that you possibly can run across and they can tell you what kind of idiot you are and say all kinds of bad things about you and put you down and try to disgrace you. And you know what? You can walk away going, Ha, ha, ha. Jesus loves me. This I know. Folks, do it. It'll do wonders for your positive mental attitude. And then, finally, we live above the crowd by harnessing the power of prayer. That's the theme of the book of Daniel, isn't it? We see him constantly in prayer. He's, he's praying and gets in trouble and gets thrown in the lion's den. Right? 
So what's he do? He prays more. Now, folks, if, if you get in trouble for doing something once, and then you decide, well, shoot, let's just do it some more. Don't you think that might get you in a little more trouble? Daniel knew it didn't. Daniel knew that he harnessed the power of prayer because God says, talk to me. Talk to me. Pray without ceasing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we have. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, In everything, notice again the preposition, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. <coughs> notice what it said, in everything. It didn't say not for everything. Big difference. Something you don't like happening in your life? The Bible says give thanks to God. Something good happened in your life? Give thanks to God. Something happened good in somebody else's life? Give thanks to God. In everything, give thanks to God, which is, again, it's God's will concerning Christ Jesus in you. Not too long ago, <coughs> there was a school in Baltimore. There was a strange stench. Now, that doesn't happen in high schools. I'm trying to find my teachers, <laughs> and they're ignoring me. Oh, yeah. But it was coming from this third floor. They couldn't figure it out. And it was making some of the students obnoxious. I mean, I should say obnoxious. <laughs> That's almost a given, right? <laughs> I can say that. I'm a youth pastor. All right? You thought you had it bad? It was making them sick, okay? Should have stuck with that word to begin with. And they were, they were, they were ill, violently ill, and they couldn't figure out what it was. It was they were nauseated. That's the word I was wanting, nauseated. Okay. You know, if I talked long enough, it'd come back to me. Well, they finally called 911 in, and they evacuated the school, and everybody's outside, and there are five kids who are just panting, and so they're, they're on respiration. They got them with oxygen masks, and they're, they're trying to figure out what's wrong. And so the firefighters and the rescue crews go to the school, and they go into this one teacher's classroom. And they notice, plugged into the wall, is one of those little scent candle or scent things. And it was pumpkin spice. <laughs> I don't know. Cindy puts them around the house sometimes. I think she likes to watch me on my oxygen. <laughs> Told you why we sit and help us at sides. <laughs> but if the power of a little scent can send a whole school evacuating, think about the power of prayer in your life, in my life together. What we can do for this church, for this community, for this state, for this country, for this world. Next week, we're going to bring the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes out here. And I want to challenge you to come up and just stand and look at a box. We might even have you hold one like we did last year. You don't know the child that's going to get that box. But you do know this very thing. 
that that box is going to go into the hands of a child who needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. And your prayer at that very moment may be the thing that opens heaven's doors for them. Amen? And if they are a Christian, it may be the thing that they need to be the witness in their community. There is power in prayer. Power in that communication with God. And we're able to do that. Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Which one of you can convict me of sin? And what he was saying is, I live above the crowd. I'm above the crowd. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. You see, if Jesus had not chosen to go to the cross, he'd still be here. Now, we're not going to play the what-if game. But he knew no sin. If that was what was predetermined. But he chose, he purposed to go to the cross and bear the sins of the entire world that you and I may not have to pay for those sins. They've been paid for in full. Not just yours, not just mine. All of humanity's has been paid for. And our task is to go out and share that wonderful truth that Jesus Christ saves. And what He did at the cross is for all. Because He rose above. He rose above it all. He was lifted up. And he said, if I be lifted up, not only on the cross, but each of our lives, if I be lifted up, he says, I will, I will draw all unto myself. We can live above it all. Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you for today and for the opportunity to share in your word and to see a man such as Daniel, who was, who was wrenched from his home, Take it to a foreign land. Forced to live a different way of life. But yet, Father, He purposed in His heart that He was going to live above it all. And today, Father, help us to purpose to live above it all. To recognize that there is a faithfulness that will find favor with You. There will be a testing. The power of prayer. The wonderful understanding of coming alongside one another, Father, and recognizing that you have given to us a wonderful chance to take the gospel message out into the highways and the hedges of this world so that others may be compelled to know Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Father. There's one here this day who does not know that is true. We ask that they would give their heart to Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.